Welcome to episode 71 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll talk all about how following our leaders right off a cliff is an everyday occurrence in the treasure state. Let's join our host, Tammy Fisher. But first, a housekeeping issue. Tammy, this episode is being sponsored by our loyal listener, Aaron, and we thank him for being such a great supporter and for sponsoring the show today. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. And hey, folks, we're getting a lot of donations from people. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us on the air. But during this summer, especially when Montana has gone through such catastrophe with flooding and everything, we would like to suspend donations to MVP and direct those donations to all of those communities that have been devastated by flooding, including Columbia Falls, including Gardner, Montana, Red Lodge, and all cities in and towns in between that have been negatively affected. It's affected everyone. And so we really think that it's important that as Montanans who share Montana values, we help out our neighbors both by hand and by dollars. So please donate where you can, when you can to all those suffering businesses and people in and around the state. So before I went to law school, I was an undergraduate at the University of Montana. As I didn't want to work very hard at academics and was more focused on going to the bar, working at a bar, and all things social, my choice of an undergraduate degree was sociology. And sociology is just the study of human behavior. Why do groups of people behave in a certain manner? I started in psychology, but after my first psych class, it became clear to me that a number of the students in that major were in need of personal psychotherapy, and I couldn't stand the student commentary about their own psychological struggles. So I switched out to the broader psychology, which is sociology. Now, I don't recommend the degree if you want a job other than a bartender or probation officer. Truth be told, The reason I performed well in my degree was because I could probably have taught the class entitled Juvenile Delinquency because I was a juvenile delinquent myself. So the content was very intuitive to me. However, it's not a great degree to have because while I found the content fascinating, since graduation, the only time I really get to use the content is when I watch reality TV shows or now Congress or now the state legislature. Two of the subjects I found most interesting were theories about the normalization of deviance and groupthink. And sadly, these theories are playing out before our eyes across our society. Normalization of deviance is a term used by the American sociologist Diane Vaughn to describe the process in which deviance from correct or proper behavior or rule becomes normalized in a government or corporate culture. Vaughn defines this as a process where a clearly unsafe practice comes to be considered normal if it does not immediately cause catastrophe. The original example cited by Vaughn was the events leading to the space shuttle Challenger disaster in 1986. But the concept has been applied to aviation safety, to clinical practice in medicine, and the public's deviance from health measures that were aimed to stop the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, Social normalization of deviance means that people within the organization become so accustomed to a deviation that they don't consider it as deviant, despite the fact that they far exceed their own rules for the elementary safety. Diane Vaughn, 1996. 
There are lots of horrific examples of normalizing deviance, but a very basic example for me occurs when I am called on to substitute judge in justice court. I see jailed inmates in that role, and while most of that time I enjoy, I am greatly disheartened when I see an 18-year-old in jail because they failed to appear on a traffic citation. So a kid who was otherwise a good kid is pulled over for speeding and is supposed to go before the court to plead guilty or not guilty, and they just forget or they willfully don't go. What happens is then a bench warrant for their arrest is issued, and kids who have never been to jail, well, they end up in jail over a traffic citation that they failed to appear on. And then, of course, before they get to jail, they're arrested in front of God and everyone, people who otherwise would never be arrested in their normal life. They're arrested in front of God and everyone and put in jail over failing to appear on a speeding ticket. And if that occurs on a Friday night, those kids aren't released until after they see the judge on Monday. So in your formative years, if you've never been to jail and you end up there for a weekend or longer— you have now incorporated going to jail as part of your life. It doesn't seem all that bad. It doesn't scare you straight. And what was deviant behavior that maybe you would never engage in, an activity that would get you to jail, becomes normalized. And this is why for some families, having a family member missing over Christmas because they are in jail is really no big deal because being in jail has been normalized in those families. So does jail stop people from being criminals? No. Can it induce people into becoming more frequent criminals? Yes. Now, that's not to say we don't need jails, because we sure do, but when we normalize an otherwise abnormal activity, deviant conduct, jail just doesn't seem all that scary or bad. And if you make it out alive, which virtually everyone does... Well, that blip on your life's radar screen isn't all that bad. And if you didn't get raped in jail or made a fool of or otherwise harmed, and hell, maybe you picked up a delinquent friend or two, well, it's just not the big deal your parents made it out to be. And the lack of bad outcomes can reinforce the normalization of trusting past experiences instead of objectively assessing risk of going to jail being a bad experience. And we see this play out in politics, too. None of us were surprised when Elsie Arnson, our superintendent of public instruction, violated the very laws she lobbied for. No one really saw that as hypocritical unless you were really paying attention. By pleading no contest to the charge of failing to stop for a school bus, Superintendent Arnson follows a burgeoning line of elected officials who carelessly violate Montana law, take no accountability, and expect the voting public to condone their behavior— And the truth is, we do condone their behavior, trashing the Republican platform and its principles every time we vote for self-proclaimed Republicans who knowingly and recently violate Montana law. Take, for example, Greg Gianforte, assaults a reporter, lies to the public about it, then pleads guilty because he was caught on tape and only because he was caught on tape. But then, of course, he's rewarded with both a congressional and a gubernatorial seat. That's the voting public normalizing deviant behavior. Normalizing, taking no issue with a supposed leader who has the emotional maturity of a two-year-old, physically harming a person for asking questions. And of course, that person happened to be a reporter. And so since the reporter was doing what reporters do, you know, asking questions, that now becomes the behavior deserving of physical harm. 
Troy Downing condemns our Montana heritage by violating multiple hunting laws, blames Fish, Wildlife and Parks law enforcement for his own admitted to violations and obtains a seat. He's rewarded with a seat as the state auditor. That's the voting public normalizing deviant behavior, normalizing, taking no issue with a supposed leader and candidate for public office, demonizing FWP law enforcement and calling them the, quote, deep state. Senator Jason Ellsworth uses his position to bully a cop, lies about meeting with Gianforte to violate Montana speed laws in construction zones, and obtains re-election. Ellsworth's repeated deviant behavior has been normalized or accepted as okay by his constituents, despite the fact that he has harmed law enforcement, despite the fact that he used his public position in the legislature for personal gain. The Montana legislature violated... This is where the sociology comes in, folks. The whole Montana legislature violated Montana law by selling historical chairs to themselves versus a public auction with zero consequence, despite multiple complaints filed with the supposed watchdogs of Montana government. No one in state government is willing to call out this behavior for what it is, illegal, due to the fear of backlash, which allows this illegal behavior by the legislature to be accepted or normalized. And this is also part of the nature of groupthink. Groupthink is, quote, a quick and easy way to refer to a mode of thinking that persons engage in when they are deeply involved in a cohesive in-group. When concurrence seeking becomes so dominant that it tends to override critical thinking or realistic appraisal of alternative courses of action. Irving Janus, 1982. What Janice is saying is the basic concepts of peer pressure. When you want to be in the in crowd or on the A team that is making decisions, you do whatever it takes to go along with the group, even when your critical thinking would cause you to question what the group is doing, even when you know in your gut that a different choice should be made. You simply stay silent and go along to get along. And then you, despite your intelligence, become as stupid as the group. George Carlin described groupthink aptly. Quote, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups, end quote. Groupthink and the normalization of deviance are the only way in which dummies and criminals get into power. It's the only way. Because the antidote to groupthink and the normalization of deviance is intelligence coupled with the guts to speak up. And there are a number of symptoms that inform us when groupthink is occurring. One, an illusion of invulnerability. Members ignore danger, take extreme risk, and are overly optimistic. Do you think that any of the January 6th rioters thought they would go to jail? Any of them? Nope. They ignored boundaries, trampled cops, ignored cop admonitions to stop, and yet they truly believed they would be pardoned or viewed as American heroes. Number two, collective rationalization. Members discredit and explain away, warning contrary to group thinking. How did QAnon come to exist? Because people rejected reality, facts, and evidence and navigated to wackadoo theories. Number three, belief in inherent morality. How is it that red state GOP groups like the Flathead County Central Committee 
despite the fact that they have zero persuasion among normal Republicans, think that because voters are voting Republican, that they have been anointed inherently moral in their line of thinking. How is it that more and more candidates for office tell voters that Jesus came to them and told them to run, that they were anointed by God? This is how cults begin, folks. If a cultist leader said, man, I have no idea if God wants me in this position, they wouldn't have followers. They only get followers by stealing the Lord's name and symbolism for their selfish desires. Number four, stereotyped views of outgroups. The group constructs negative stereotypes of rivals outside the group. How is it that Montanans elect criminals over normal Republicans and Democrats? Because they have stereotyped Democrats as demons and worse than criminals. And any Republican that doesn't agree that criminals should hold elected office is stereotyped as rhinos and, in fact, stereotyped as worse than Democrats. We are worse than Democrats, despite the fact that us rhinos are the ones that actually adhere to the Republican platform. Number five, direct pressure on dissenters. Members pressure any in the group who express arguments against the group's stereotypes, illusions, or commitments, viewing such opposition as disloyalty. Again, this is how the bullies in both parties quiet dissent and alienate dissenters. You know, if you say that a man cannot give birth to a child, that is true, but according to social media and the left that's on social media, somehow that is... I don't know if that's racist or it's not true or it's a mean thing to say. It's just a biological fact. It's no different than when we say gay folks having unprotected sex don't have to worry about getting pregnant. That is true. They might have to worry about STDs, but gay folks, when they have sex, don't have to worry about getting pregnant. True. But in our culture today, the leftists would say that we, that needs to be canceled. We should lose our jobs. We can't say those kinds of things, even though it's true and a biological fact. And so they directly pressured dissenters. This is how the Republican platform is no longer the foundation for the state Republican Party or local central committees. It's not even advisory. It's simply just not considered. Because when those of us who dissent from what the GOP is doing based upon the Republican platform, while the platform goes out the window. Number six, self-censorship. Members withhold their dissenting views and counter-arguments. And this is how groups grow and embark on a dark path. No one speaks up for good. No one speaks up when they know the group is going the wrong way. They simply go with the flow. Remember when Kevin McCarthy said the Republicans would have their own January 6th investigation? When did that occur? That's right. Never. And why? Because Kevin can't take the backlash for having the audacity to investigate why January 6th occurred and who was involved. God forbid the Republican Party actually investigate deviants in their midst. And so Kevin McCarthy, because he sought favor with Donald Trump, chose not to investigate. And now who is complaining that McCarthy didn't investigate? That's right. Donald Trump. Number seven. Illusion of unanimity. Members perceive falsely that everyone agrees with the group's decision. Silence is seen as consent. How many people have had the guts in Congress to stand up to the Boberts, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, and the Matt Rosendales? What about the Ellsworths, the Arntzens, the Gianfortes, the Downings? 
the Schumers, the Pelosi's, the Biden's, and the Clinton's. Because when the national parties and state parties are silent, that reflects consent on their parts to the deviant behavior of these fools. And that consent leads others in the group or party to believe that we are all fine with criminals and incompetence leading our party. Number eight, mind guards are appointed. Some members appoint themselves to the role of protecting the group from adverse information that might threaten group complacency. How many trolls pop up on social media defending the indefensible when the indefensible occurs? Heck, even our own attorney general defended Greg Gianforte for continuing his vacation instead of flying home for a monumental flooding disaster and equated that. This is what the attorney general equated that with. The former Governor Bullock running a marathon while the legislature was in session. This false equivalence is all over social media. The Yabbats are the mind guards. And let's be clear, folks. None of us care that Gianforte went on vacation. He can go on vacation. I don't care. Nobody cares. What we care about is when he's alerted to a natural disaster that is economically devastating to the entire state of Montana. He did what? Did he get on the first flight out? No, no. He stayed on vacation. He has $400 million in his pocket and he couldn't get the first flight out? No, stayed for four days. That's the problem. But again, that's the complacency of all of Montana. We've normalized deviant behavior. We've allowed that to be expected behavior. And were any of us really shocked that the governor decided to stay on his vacation rather than come home? Any of us? Were you shocked, Mickey? (laughs) Well, the wine is good in Tuscany, Tammy. (laughs) Again, it's the yabbats that are the mind guards. Every time somebody wants to equivocate, every time somebody says, this is equivalent to this, yeah, but you did a bad thing too, those are the mind guards. Those are the people who are trying to ensure that groupthink doesn't stop. They perpetuate groupthink and they protect it. So what causes groupthink? Group identity. It tends to occur more in situations where group members are very similar to one another. When there is a strong group identity, members of the group tend to perceive their group as correct or superior while expressing disdain or disapproval toward people outside of the group. And you can see that with our political parties, further and further alienating all of us from one another. Leader influences. Groupthink is also more likely to take place when a powerful and charismatic leader commands the group. Low knowledge. When people lack personal knowledge of something or feel that other members of the group are more qualified, and this is that stupid superiority complex within unqualified people, they are more likely to engage in groupthink. We call these low-information voters, and America and Montana are full of them, not because they don't care, but because they don't have time in their daily lives to investigate and find credible sources of information. And when the mainstream media is no longer a credible source, they look to non-mainstream sources for information. This is why the propaganda Montana Daily Gazette came into existence, because people turned away for good reason from the mainstream media. Unfortunately, they went to the opposite end of the spectrum instead of a neutral source for information. Stress. Situations where the group is placed under extreme stress or where moral dilemmas exist also increase the occurrence of groupthink. And when moral dilemmas don't actually exist, 
In order to roll people back into the fold, political parties now create or manufacture moral dilemmas. When was the last time you were confronted with a transgender person in your bathroom? The date and time of that, please? When did that become just a crisis situation for you ever in the state of Montana? We have the perfect storm for the proliferation of groupthink in government and politics. We have an American public coalescing, screaming to Democrats that their national party is going the wrong way. And we are stuck with difficult decision-making because all of the easy stuff was done in 1776. Now every decision is complicated. But people don't like complicated answers. They want soundbite solutions. And sociologists like Janice agree that groupthink tends to be the most prevalent in these conditions. When there is a high degree of cohesiveness, when there are situational factors that contribute to deferring to the group, such as external threats, moral problems, difficult decisions, when there are structural issues, such as group isolation and a lack of impartial leadership. While groupthink can generate consensus, it is by definition a negative phenomenon that results in faulty or uninformed thinking and decision-making. Some of the problems it can cause include blindness to potentially negative outcomes, failure to listen to people with dissenting opinions, lack of creativity, lack of preparation to deal with negative outcomes, ignoring important information, inability to see other solutions, not looking for things that might not yet be known to the group, obedience to authority without question, overconfidence in decisions, resistance to new information or ideas. When people in groups have diverse backgrounds and experiences, they are better able to bring different perspectives, information, and ideas to the table. This enhances decisions and makes it less likely that groups will fall into groupthink patterns. But that isn't what we have today, folks. That was the Montana and the America of the past. We have turned to a black and white society that doesn't have tolerance for gray. We decide only labels good and bad can exist. And we have turned what was traditionally considered bad into good, embracing criminals and morons as elected leaders. When a pack of alt-right-wing wackadoos decide to load up into a U-Haul in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, to interfere with a pride celebration. The gasp heard around the Mountain West should ring as loud as my voice when I belt out George Strait tunes. It's shocking that in 2022, there are people who still harbor disdain for the fact that gay folk exist and desire the same freedoms as straight folks. Ironically, the same folks that wear Don't Tread on Me t-shirts seek to tread on others who don't share their viewpoints. In a state where Oro e Plata and Matt Rosendale and Greg Gianforte, you may not understand what that means, but those of us from Montana actually embrace that. In a state where Oro e Plata is as representative of Montanans as the phrase live and let live, and where women had their right to vote recognized before the federal government came around, the behavior of the U-Haul bandits makes as much sense as renting a U-Haul when an Uber or carpool to the event would suffice. Shock should pulse through our veins when we see cancel culture leftists protesting Supreme Court justices at their homes versus the courthouse steps where it would be appropriate, 
and they're protesting Supreme Court justices at their homes based upon a perception of a forthcoming legal decision. The decision hasn't even been issued yet, but the perception of what the decision will be was enough for them to track down the addresses of our Supreme Court justices and protest at their homes. They seek to bully or kill off conservative justices, and they are inspired to do so by high-ranking government officials. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer carelessly stated at a courthouse protest that conservative justices, quote, will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions, end quote. There can only be one price Schumer desires the justices to pay since their jobs are lifetime appointments for which no impeachment can occur related to legal decision making. Schumer takes zero personal accountability for these inciting statements. And instead of holding Schumer accountable, his supporters run towards equivalency, downplaying Schumer's statements as not as bad as statements made by former President Trump. But we aren't shocked. These antics have come to be an expected response. Both the far left and far right are bullies seeking to cancel anyone with an alternate view. Voters used to keep these bullies out of government. When voters began to embrace and elect those with low emotional intelligence over statesmen and women with a modicum of self-control, we normalized what should otherwise be shocking and deviant behavior. Make no mistake, when the crime statistics for Montana are released, these, quote, Republicans will blame leftist policies rather than the fact that as leaders, they exemplify and thereby promote the behavior they condemn. When deviant behavior is normalized, deviance increases. Increases in crime are expected results from a society whose leadership embraces deviant behavior. No one in Montana should be surprised that criminals now feel empowered to seek elective office in Montana, as they did in multiple legislative primaries. Leaders don't exist without followers, and our leaders have normalized deviant behavior. Their followers engage in groupthink, never questioning or following their own conscience. And because of this, none of us should be surprised at the disappointment or the consequences that follow. Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Consider sponsoring the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at MTValues. Find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.